Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastchrist.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. All right, well, uh, hey, let me highlight one more of those announcements. Um, I talked to you guys a little bit about it last week. Is um, we, you know, Unless we're like talking about money and in a series about all that kind of stuff, we usually don't talk about it too, too much. Um, but uh, last week we told you that we are going to be coming to the end of our fiscal year the, in the middle of the summer, and um, we're going to come up a little short on our budget, I think around like 3% or something like that is where we're, we're thinking. And, um, and so we want to make sure that we land right on budget. We, we spend within our means around here, but um, we... Uh, we budget for kind of what we expect to get in year over year, and we're coming in a little shy. And so if you are a person who doesn't give and, and you haven't started to give, this is a great time for you to do so. Or if you do give, um, if you can give above and beyond, that would be uh, amazing because um, we just want to make sure that we can continue to do all the ministries that we have. We, we definitely don't want to have to scale back on anything. In fact, we're, we're hoping to go and create new ministries. And so if you can um, give and give generously, you, you know how much we appreciate that. Uh, so right now, we're not in the middle of a series, um, which means I get to throughout the weeks, kind of talk about what I feel like, hey, this is what's going on in our world. This is what people are kind of struggling with. And, and um, so last week I talked about trucks because that's very, very important. Um, if you were here, if you, you know what I'm talking about, if you weren't, you should go watch it. Um, uh, today, I thought that I would talk about something that is on a lot of people's minds, specifically in this room, which is California. So I'm going to talk about California today. All right. Yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> You're nervous. You're like, this is not the weekend I should have invited friends. No, no, it'll be fine. Um, so for the last, uh, last couple of years, there's been this talk about the great resignation, right? Where people are deciding, hey, you know, I don't like my job. I want a different job. I'm, you know, whatever. Well, now there's a new thing that they're talking about, which is the great relocation. Um, because there is a lot of people moving right now uh, around the United States. And um, if you've been watching the news, especially about California, you know that California is, the top, is in the top five for states that people are moving out of, Okay. Either getting out of here. No, no, no. Ooh, me. You're going you're gonna to regret saying that. Um, no, no, but uh, in the last year, this is the first time uh, that California has seen a decrease in its population. And there's lots of different reasons. You can pick uh, your favorite. It's the cost of living. It's taxes, politics, schooling, business regulations. Everybody's got a reason why, um, you know, they, they're, they're moving. And so it seems like I'm having the same conversation over and over again with people saying, either those who um, are trying to raise kids and trying to figure out where, or maybe they are newly retired and they could go somewhere else, and they're trying to decide, should we stay here in California or should we move? Now, you might be thinking, that is the strangest topic for a sermon that I've ever heard before, and you're right. Um, But it's in the Bible, not California, but something, you'll get it, you'll see. Uh, There are some of us who who we're here, we're committed, we know that we're going to be here. But as we see um, things changing around us, specifically the culture around us in a place like this, we go, how am I supposed to live faithfully as a Christian in a place that is very much hostile to many of my values and beliefs? And so, um, and so I want to address both of those groups. And I want to do so by going through the um, chapter 29 in the book of Jeremiah. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible app, you can follow along with me. If not, it'll be on the screen. So if you don't know what's going on in Jeremiah, just a real quick sketch is um, Israel, so God's chosen people, 
Um, they were commanded to follow and worship God, and he would bless them. And if they didn't, he would uh, warn them through different prophets and say, hey, turn back around. If you don't, I'm going to have to discipline you. Uh, Through a series of different warnings, eventually God says, okay, you're not listening. I'm going to have to discipline you. And the discipline is pretty harsh. The nation splits in two and eventually is overtaken by other, uh, other foreign nations, enemies of theirs, one of which was Babylon. And so what's happening here is Babylon has come and they have attacked and taken over Israel. Now they really have three options. Whenever one group comes and overtakes another group, they can do one of three things. They can either drive them out so that they can take their land and their resources and kick them out of their homes. The problem is, is eventually they're going to recruit, recruit, regroup. Regroup and they're going to return and they're going to want their land back. So they can have to continue to fight. Second option is they can enslave them. They can force them into being their their slaves or their servants. Eventually, there's probably going to be an uprising and they're back to fighting again. Or they can do this. They can assimilate them. They can bring them in and make them a part of the society. Um, And within a generation or two, they're going to lose their distinctiveness. And they're going to see their primary identity as a part of this new dominant culture. And so they're not going to fight any longer. And that's exactly what Babylon does when it conquers its enemies, is it, 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 it decides we're going to assimilate them into our Babylonian culture, and that's exactly what they're going to do with Israel. They're going to bring about 10,000 Israelites, the cultural influencers, so you've got people like priests and prophets, royals, court officials, artisans, and they bring them in, and then they plug them into their society. They teach them the language, they educate them in their ways, they give them great positions of power and authority, they give them good jobs, so that they will begin to not resist, but begin to assimilate into the culture there. Now, Israel is not dumb. These people know what Babylon is trying to do. And so when they arrive at the city, they say, we're not going to assimilate We want to maintain our distinctiveness, our our faith and our values. And so we are going to isolate. And so what they do is they go and they set up these refugee camps near the riverbanks. And they stay as far away from the Babylonian culture as they can. We're going to be completely other. And they have uh, prophets at the time uh, who came along and they said, look, we need to make sure that we isolate from them, not only because of their cultural values, but God's going to come and destroy them in the next two years. And we don't want to be anywhere around, around that. And so we're going to isolate. And this is where we jump into the story of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah 29.1 says this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So he's sending a letter to the exiles who are in Babylon from Israel because there are still some people left behind and he sends it to them and here's what he says. We're going to skip down to the letter in, uh, starting in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty The God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, you missed it, and I missed it too when I first read it. Look at verse 1 and look at verse 4. In verse 1, it says this. It says, Nebuchadnezzar brought you here or brought you into exile. And then in this verse, he says, and I carried you into exile. So which one is it? Is it Nebuchadnezzar's fault that we're here or is it your fault, God? And he says, well, ultimately, I'm the one who brought you into Babylon. See, it may feel like it's these random circumstances or it's these social cultural forces that brought you into Babylon, but I use those things. I'm the one who brought you to where you are right now. 
And so the main point he's trying to make right off the bat is, you're not here by accident. I called you to this place. And so whenever I'm talking to people who are uh, wrestling with, man, what, what should I do? What are my next steps? Is God calling me here? Or is he calling me somewhere? Or, or am I supposed to stay here or go somewhere else? I always ask them this question. And they should know coming to me like I'm a pastor. And so this will be my first question. Um, are you still going to tithe? No, that's not the question. Um, just seeing if you're awake. I'm just, we're just seeing if you're there. No. Uh, the first question I ask them is, did God, did God call you there? And I always get this like deer in the headlights look like, what? Did God call me there? Like it never occurred to them like, did, did you pray about it? Did you seek wise counsel? Do you feel at peace or do you feel a little bit conflicted inside? Are you sure that this is where God called you to be? See, my parents um, <clears throat> gave a great example of this to me growing up is, uh, if you don't know the story of, of our family and, and partly of this church is, they grew up um, in the Midwest, and that's where I was born and my sister was born, in this beautiful suburb outside of Chicago, developing, just actually voted one of the best places to live in America. And uh, my dad had a job at a big church, and, and uh, he had a beautiful home in the suburb, and he had lots of friends and family not far off. And, and as he began to pray, God, is this where you want me to be? Like as I'm raising my kids and as I'm figuring out what the, probably the next 20 or 30 years is going to look like, is this where you want me to be? And all signs point to, this is awesome, stay right here. And then as he begins to pray, and through different circumstances, he arrives at this place called Seal Beach, California. Never had heard of it before. And in Seal Beach, California, he knew nobody. He had no family nearby, no income, and couldn't afford to live there. And yet he kept praying and kept praying and kept praying. And eventually he thought, God's calling us to, to Seal Beach. And as people heard about this calling, they said, now, are you a crazy person? Like, we don't know much about Seal Beach, but we do know about L.A. and Orange County. And even some of my family members said, um, you know, it's a bunch of crazy people out there. Your kids are going to turn out a mess. And they were half right. My sister is a little bit of a disaster, but... My grandma promised to send food because we would be starving. And, <laughs> and, um, and here was the answer that they gave. We're not going there because it makes sense on paper. We're going there because that's where God called us to be. And so whenever I ask, has God called you there? If the answer is yes, we believe God is calling us to this next season, wherever it is, doing whatever he is calling you to do. If it is yes, then you better start planning and packing because you want to go exactly where God has called you to go. But if you're not sure, if you're still wrestling with it, if you don't know what the next assignment, the next place that God has for you, I always say you better stay and wait. You better continue to do the last thing that God called you to do. Now, it may not be forever. He may call you someplace and may clarify what you're supposed to do, but never make a decision based on comfort. It's always got to be based on calling. I think so many of us were tempted to make decisions, <clears throat> especially as we're coming out of this difficult season, based on things that we would prefer. But it's not about what we prefer. It's about what he prefers. And so if you don't know what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to stay right there. Continue on in verse four or verse five. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. 
Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. So Jeremiah comes up and he goes, okay, so all the prophets who've been telling you just hang on, it's only gonna be a couple years, they're lying to you. You're gonna be here for a while. You're not tourists in Babylon. You are officially residents here. And so you better start getting used to it. Start marrying off one another, building houses, planting gardens, raising your kids, because this is now your home away from home. And I have to imagine that they had some, I would say some, some valid arguments against God. Like, God, do you understand what you're putting us in the middle of? These people are pagans. The hedonistic, idolatrous lifestyle that they're living, this is not a healthy place to be. Now, if I were in that situation, here's my argument. God, I, 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 can, I can do it here. I may not like it. It may not be ideal, but I feel like my faith is strong enough. My values are strong enough, and I can lean into you that I'm going to be okay. But here's the problem. I have kids. What am I supposed to do with my kids here? Do you want me to raise my kids in Babylon? No. I need to get back to Jerusalem where people think and live like I do. And here's what I imagine God would respond with is, oh yeah, you need to get back to Jerusalem because raising families there went so well. You remember how we got here, right? This is punishment because you couldn't figure it out. You kept rebelling against me. And so it didn't seem to work in Jerusalem. And so maybe there's something bigger happening here. I think the problem might be, or at least the main problem is not where you are, but who you are. This is true of our character, this is true of our parenting, this is true of business. It's maybe, and I'm not saying this is universally true, but maybe we should consider that the main problem is not where we are, but who we are. When we were talking about this at, uh, with the pastors, um, Autumn said this, and I thought this was great, is quit trying to fix a spiritual problem with a geographical solution. It's funny, is um, when we first moved here, my dad would always say that um, you have the people who are most confused and most lost near the coast because it's the farthest they can run until they hit the ocean, <laughs> right? And what's funny is um, I, I kind of feel like we have the opposite happening now, which is we have people who want to get away from that, and so they're running as far away as they can from those places. And it's maybe not the location that's the problem. I think what God is doing here is he's saying, I'm going to send you into a place that is so far out on the edge that you have no choice but to lean into me and trust me. Didn't work in Jerusalem. You kept going your own way. So let's take you out to the very edge in which you don't know how you're going to make it without me. Maybe that's where I'm going to build your faith and that's where I'm going to build your family's faith. Continues on in verse uh, 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So he doesn't even say, I want you just to live there. I want you to seek the common good of that city. The, the word here for peace and prosperity is actually the, the biblical word of shalom. And what it means is, it means I want you to seek to have the city not just be peaceful and prosperous, but to be like unified, for it to be the way that God intended, for it to be full of life. So you got to think, okay, God, I was just getting over the fact that you were going to make me stay here. Now you want me to like pray for these people? 
I'll pray for righteous judgment on these people, but I'm not sure if I can pray for their benefit. And you want me to serve these people like these people? Hate us. These people killed our relatives. And you want me to go and pray and serve and love them? Ugh, this sounds horrible. But that's the way of Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus did. I don't know if you remember, but Jesus, he went from heaven and then he moved into our neighborhood here on earth. Wasn't quite as nice. People weren't quite as friendly as where he came from. And yet he said, I am here not to be served, but to serve. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. And he says, when they prosper, you too will prosper. And that's just not about economics, of course. This is relationally, emotionally, maybe even spiritually. As you begin to develop and prosper, and you seek the good of the, the city, they will prosper as well. So here's the first point that I think Jeremiah would make. Is God is calling them and us to love where we live. We are called to love where we live. Now, the American radical individualist is that the slogan would be the exact opposite is you need to live where you love. Meaning, if you don't love it, you need to go and move to a place that you do. You're a mountain person, move to the mountains. You like riding dirt bikes, go to the desert. You want to live by the beach, you better have a lot of money, right? Like, go and live, live where you love. But see, this assumes a couple of things. This assumes that the point of life is mine and your happiness. That if we are happier living somewhere else, well, then that's what we should do. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture is not about going and finding the place that you are most comfortable and you like. I mean, that's a great side effect if it happens, but can you imagine if throughout church history, Christians lived by this motto of not love where you live, but live where you love? Let's see, India, China, Africa, none of those places would have ever heard about Jesus. Because I don't see missionaries standing up going, I'm hoping that I can go there, uh, potentially be killed by either the locals or by some disease, and my kids might not make it out alive. That sounds like a great place to move to. No. They said, that's not the point. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul said, you know, I'm only going to go and plant churches in cities that have great food and a view. Other than that, good luck to you. <laughs> no. They, they said, well, look, we understand that our life is much more than just going and finding, and, and finding places that we like to live, which, by the way, is a sub-point I, I had written down here, is um, love is not necessarily like. Loving where you live is how you treat the people and the goals that you have. Liking where you live, completely different. And I think um, any parent knows this to be true. I love my kids. Oh, I would die for them. I don't like them a lot of the time, no. <laughs> like there are so many times just during the day in which I just think, what is going on right now? At least, at least, this is my, my youngest son's newest thing, at least one time a week we will be sitting at the dinner table. We're trying to get everybody to just, you know, 15 minutes of focus. That's all we want right now. And he will look at me, and he will give me this look, and I know what's going through his little mind. And I go, buddy, take a bite. He's like, <laughs> I go, well, you know, he never, it doesn't matter if it's his favorite food in the world, he will not eat it if I tell him to eat it. I'd be like, buddy, eat those donuts. And he's like, mm-mm, 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 not donuts today. 
And so he will slowly take his fork and put it on his plate and look at me and just go, oops, right off the edge of the table, all over the ground. And I'm just, oh, don't say, no, that's not an oops. That's not an oops. You did that on purpose. Like, well, yeah, maybe I did, maybe I did. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, well, you know what? You're eating dinner on the floor tonight, so that's fine. Um, I think that a lot, you know, the mindset that we have to have is, is a lot like parenting, and I call it the missionary mindset. Most people in our society have a me mindset. I am here for me. I am here to take and I am here to consume. And so I live here just long enough to make my money, to maybe have some equity in my house, sell it off, and then move to a place that's cheaper and I like the people better. That's about me. I'm taking, I'm consuming. I'm getting in some people's kitchens right now, and they're trying to upgrade to a nicer kitchen, and I'm getting in it. All right, here we go. The missionary mindset is, I'm here for you. I am here to give and to contribute. Every day when I'm frustrated about whatever the issue of the day is, I go, ah, yes, that's right. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. Because if I were here for me, I probably wouldn't live here. And there's nothing wrong with here, but I've realized there is a lot of drama wherever people are. And so if I can get away from people, I can have less drama in my life. And so when I dream about where to live, I think, no people, (laughs) right? That's the opposite of where we live, by the way. Lots of people everywhere. But I'm not here for me. And you're not here for you. We're here for them. We're here for the community around us. All right, continue on. It says in uh, verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And so what God reminds them of in this moment is, although this is your home away from home, this is not your ultimate place. This is not your true home. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's where you have to continue to remind yourself is, yes, I am tempted to either isolate or assimilate, but I have to be in this balance in which I do a little bit of both. And so we as Christians, we have to remember as well that, the, that we are exiles, that although we may love or we may not love where we live, ultimately our citizenship is not here. It is in heaven. And so the second thing I think that we're reminded of here is that we are called to live differently. Uh, Tim Keller says this, and, and I love this, is, um, he says, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And as the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body, and they gave practically everybody their money. So what made the the early Christians different is how they used their money and their body. And I think the same is true today. We could talk about all the ways that we're called to live differently, but I think this is probably the most distinct thing that makes us different from the rest of the world is how we use our money and how we use our body. If I were going to use political terms, it would be we are conservative with our bodies and liberal with our money, which is the exact opposite of, of what culture tells us to do, by the way. And so I'm willing to bet is if we just did these two things, like if we just took Jesus' commands on money and on sex Not only would our lives look totally different, but I believe that the world around us would look at us totally different. 
Think about what the biggest scandals are in churches. What brings churches down? Money and sex. Think about what the most difficult thing for a Christian to hand over to Christ is. Money and sex. What are the things that Jesus talked over and over and over again more than anything else? Money and sex. Because these are the things that make us different than everybody else. And so if we want to live differently, we have to start looking at how we use our money and our bodies. There's a tension here that we have to live in. And it's between these two competing commands is loving where we live and living differently. And we have to live in that tension because I think it takes wisdom to know which to do because we may have a natural default where, okay, um, I love where I live and so they're more tempted to assimilate and become just like everybody else. Or I don't love where I live and so I want to live differently and so I'm out of here. And so we isolate. We have to figure out how do we live in that balance? And I think it takes wisdom and it varies depending on the season and the person. So another question people ask me recently is, should I send my kids to public school? I go, well, that's a great question. But we gotta, we got to ask some follow-up questions. Now, if you were to ask me this 15 years ago versus today, if you were to ask me, well, what school are we talking about? What is your child like? What is their disposition? What is your life like? What it, we have to be able to wrestle with this tension because there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. We have to wrestle um, with the scriptures. We have to ask God. We have to seek wise counsel. I think the dangerous thing is there's simply default to one or the other. Okay, so l- let me get to this. Is... Uh, In the scriptures, there is kind of a a word picture that it paints for us to make sense of all this. And the word is that we are called to be ambassadors. Ambassadors, yeah. So an ambassador is an official representative that is sent to one nation um, to represent another nation. And so uh, if you were to deliver a message from one nation to another nation, it would probably be through um, an ambassador. Or if you want the the foreign nation to understand your values and your beliefs, you would send an ambassador. And so we have ambassadors all over the world as the United States, and and hopefully they represent us well, and they they communicate, and there's lines there. and, And then what happens is, when these ambassadors or these representatives come together in a foreign nation, together, they go to what's called an embassy. And an embassy is a nation within a nation, It is a place in which uh, people can come and they can find um, other citizens like them. They can have a community. There's people who think and talk and act like they do. They can be replenished. They can find refuge in times of strife. And that's exactly what the church is supposed to be. See, we're called to be ambassadors. We're supposed to go out there and we're supposed to bring this message that Christ has come and he can reconcile you to God. And then when we come together like this, this is kind of our embassy. This is the church And he said, this is a place where you can come together as citizens who are citizens of the kingdom of God and you can worship together, you can gather together, you can support one another. It's a place of refuge and replenishment. And so I imagine uh, it's kind of a home away from home. I talked to somebody recently and they were saying, you know, for years and years and years, um, I've always struggled with feeling comfortable um, at work and around my friends. And the only place that I really felt like myself was in my house. And it's just in this last season, I found a place where I feel like I can be myself, and that's here. I said, well, tell me about that. Why, why do you feel so comfortable here? And it's like, you know, because the core of who I am is dedicated to following and being like Jesus. And I can never fully do that in these other places. Like at work, I have to be very careful. It feels like I'm walking on eggshells, and, you know, I can't really share certain things. And even around some of my friends, I feel the same way. But when I walk in here, it's like, 
there's other people like me here. They think like me. They live like me. We're all pursuing the same goals here is to be like Jesus. And so I can come here and I can just feel like I'm, like I'm home. And I think that's the vision of what we're trying to do here at Seacoast is we're trying to create a place for people to find and to do life. And that, that's something that we talked about a couple years ago um, when we were doing the campaign for the CLC and before all the COVID stuff happened the last two years, we've kind of all been in survival mode is, is we talked about this is we want Seacoast to be a place in which people can find life. Is, um, Jesus says that the church is supposed to be like a, a bright city on a hill. And w- whenever I hear that, um, there's this m- image that pops in my mind. So um, before I had kids and I actually got to do like fun things, um, Amy and I w- would travel a little bit. And one of our trips, one of our big trips was we went to Spain. And um, we were out in the middle of kind of nowhere. It's a desert sort of slash countryside place. And there was a resort that we stayed at. And then there was like nothing around that. And so a couple days into it, we decided, you know, we need to go and find some other food besides the paella that they offer here. Let's go see if we can find something else. And so one night we go out and there's a a town um, kind of far away. And so we go, we have mediocre food. And we start driving back and it is completely dark. There's no cities, there's no people, there's nobody on the road. We're in the middle of the desert. And it's lonely. It's a little bit scary. We're in a foreign country. And we come around this turn, and as we're coming around this turn, there is a giant hill and this beautiful kind of old-world Spanish city sitting out. It was this beautiful picture. And there's lights going on and uh, lights, lights that kind of illuminated it. And, and you could see it from miles and miles and miles away. And you just have that feeling for a moment where you go, okay, I was in the desert. It's dark. It's scary. It's lonely. But then all of a sudden I'm attracted to this place because it's full of light and life. There's people there. And that's kind of the image that I think the church is supposed to be is we are a city within the city. We are a nation within this nation in which as people are wandering through the dark, as they're lost, as the chaos of the world surrounds them, they can look at us and go, there's light and life there. I may not agree with all the things that they believe, but when I look at their marriages, when I look at their families, when I look at how they love one another, their generosity, how they care for, when I look at that, there's something just attractive about it. I just want to go and I want to I see what it's all about. And see, that's the vision that Jesus has laid out for us, and that's the vision that we've latched onto as a church. And the secret when they come into this community and they want to see what this light and life is all about, they're going to realize something. It's not because you and I are awesome. I know that's a shocker, and you're like, I beg to differ. <laughs> you haven't met me yet. No, I'm pretty sure about you too, is they're going to realize the reason why this place is so full of light and life is because we are not good enough. Like we all came to the conclusion, we're a disaster. We keep screwing our lives up. We need somebody else to take control. And that's where Jesus comes in, the source and the sustainer of this light and life. And so when we hand over our lives to him, things start to change. Our life starts to be transformed. And that's where they can find life is they come in and they go, I want that life that you have. Not just this eternal life one day, that's true, but a life here and now. Second part is this, is we want this to be a place where people can do life. In a book uh, in 1989 by Ray Oldenburg called The, good, or the Great Good Place, 
He talks about everybody needs a third place. And maybe you've heard this before. First place is home. Second place is work and school. And then third place is a place to gather where you can learn and grow and engage and socialize. And actually, this is a model that places like Starbucks was built on, is creating a third place. And so we see people looking for a place to do life. It could be um, yesterday we were at the baseball field all day. Man, some of those families, they live there because they're looking for a place to do life with other people. Some places it's at the gym, other places it's a coffee shop, or a bar, or even online. But the problem is it's not working. They are not finding life but loneliness. Over and over again, there's more and more research being done, and it says that we are in what's called an epidemic of loneliness. Is that people are looking for community, they're looking for life, they want to do life together, and they're not finding it. All they're finding is loneliness. Millennials, um, their number one fear is not to die of cancer, it's to die alone. It means that all the things that we have tried in order to find life has not been life-giving. Because when Jesus came, he says, if you want to have life and have it to the full, it's not going to be through those things. They might be great, but those will not bring life. The way that you're going to find life is through me. And then I'm going to build a community of people called the church, and they're going to do life together around this light and life that I bring. And so being a part of a church is so much more than being here an hour on Sunday or an hour, one or two Sundays a month. I'm not going to pick on you, though. It's about building a community and doing life together. I got a glimpse of this recently. Um, I was here for a meeting on Wednesday night, and I I normally don't um, have... uh, meetings on Wednesday, and so when I was walking through the campus, I parked um, by the warehouse over there, and as I was uh, getting out of my car, I realized there is a few hundred junior hires and high schoolers, and I don't want to deal with them, but I will, and so I kind of make my way through there, and I'm kind of trying to get through the crowd, and I'm just like, I'm glad I'm not a youth pastor, and so I make it through there. I mean, bless them, you know, bless them. Lord bless them. Okay, but I make my way through there, and it's awesome. They're having a blast, and there's, okay, so I make it, and I get through there, and I get to the kids' building, and there is a crowd of people coming through there. Uh, I came to uh, realize that it was the Run for God crew, or Jog for Jesus, whatever, wherever you're at. Um, uh, and so I walk past there, and I make my way into the lobby, and I open it up, and I'm thinking, oh, finally. And then there's like four groups meeting in there. And I'm like, oh, sorry about that. And there's some different care group meetings going on. And so then I make my way into the auditorium, and oh, there's financial peace in here. And, oh, my goodness, sorry. And then I make my way here, and there's another group meeting back there. And I'm just like, what is happening? This is, this is crazy. I came back the next night, even more people, because they're here for Rooted. And I thought, that's the dream. That's the vision right there, is to create a place where people can do life. Like if I were to step foot on this campus, life is happening. It, it might be I step on foot, foot on this campus and there's just some people grabbing a cup of coffee, just talking about life, you know, in that future cafe that we hope to have out there one day. And their kids are playing on the playgrounds and it's a safe place where, where they know that they're going to be okay and they can have coffee and watch them. And, or maybe it's a, a meeting where you have to go and deal with some stuff. Or it's just a a rooted group that you want to meet with. There's a class that you want to take. And so you go into the CLC and there's something there for you to engage with. Or maybe it's not even you. Maybe it's your kids. Or I see um, the youth and the young adults 
and they have a place where they can explore those questions and wrestle with some of the most difficult years of their life in a, in a community in which people are going to love them and guide them. Or maybe it's just a night out where you and your spouse or you and your friends say, you know, we want to go, but the bar scene, oh, that's not, that's not for us. That's not where we want to go. You know what? I think Seacoast is having another concert tonight. Maybe we can go and we can check that out together. Or maybe it's just a difficult season you're in. You need a place of silence and solitude and prayer. And in this chapel that we hope to have one day, you can go in there and you can just spend some time with God. And then, of course, every week there is just tons and tons of us coming together to worship together and do life in this place. That's the dream. That's what we hope to build. And it's not just our dream. I believe that this is the dream that Jesus had when he launched the church. And so let me just end with something just super, super simple and um, practical. Say, okay, Cody, if that's the dream, if that's where we're going, that's what we, we hope to see God do in this place, um, what's mine in this? Well, I'd say the first question is, are you in or not? Right? That's the first question. Not, not just in, like, are you in for Jesus? Are you in for Seacoast? Are you you're down for the cause? Are you ready to move this thing forward? First question is, are you in? If you are in, I would tell you three simple things. Be involved, invested, and inviting. First one is this, be involved. Sunday cannot, or your, your whole faith and engagement with this church cannot just be an hour on Sundays. You got to get in the community, get plugged in somewhere. I don't care if it's rooted, if it's class, if it's CR, if it's anything. I mean, there's something happening all the time. Get, in, get involved somewhere. Next is get invested. Now find a place to, to give of your time and of your money. So your time, lots of places to go. I, I see some of my, my friends out here, and it's funny, man. These are guys who are, who are doing really, really well in the business world, directing traffic. And I go, that's what's up. Nobody is too good. Nobody is above anybody. We, we serve where the need is. I love that. And then, of course, we need to be investing our, our finances. Is one, of the, one of the things that we try to teach people is when you give, it's going to grow your faith and your trust in God, but it's also going to free you from your addiction to money and control. And so the first thing that giving is going to do is when you give, it's going to bring freedom into your life, and it also helps support the ministries that we get to push forward and change more lives with. And then, of course, be inviting. See, um, inviting people to church is a great thing. I'm pretty sure it's how all of us got here, unless somebody dragged you, but all of us were invited at one point. And so we want to continue to invite, but it's actually going to take more than that. I think just an invitation, and this is what I've seen in my own life, isn't enough anymore. People go, eh, hey, church, well, I'm not sure if I'm doing it. It's, it's, it's a big hurdle to get there. And so now inviting looks different. It's, I'm going to invite you into my world so you can see how I live. You can see what's different about me. And then hopefully through my invitation, you either maybe come to church or I can even invite you to Christ and, and knowing him. And so here's my last word picture here or last uh, story. This last summer, we um, took a couple weeks off, and we went to the Midwest to go visit some family, and uh, we took a little bit of a road trip, and as we were driving, there was, in, outside of a, a fairly substantial-sized city in the Midwest, a sign that says, Welcome to Jesus Country. And I thought, we are not in Los Angeles anymore. <laughs> Can you imagine if we put that, like, on the side of the... That would be amazing, wouldn't it? You'd be like... Tush, 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 like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and I thought, well, they we're definitely in a different place. 
And, um, and I got to visit with some folks and check out some churches, and, and you know, and, and it was great. People were wonderful. They were very kind. Everybody kind of assumed that we're all Christians, and that was kind of the culture there. And, and they were asking me, well, how is it doing ministry in, in California? You know, we've heard things about it, especially the last couple of years. It's been pretty difficult. And, and I said, yeah, it's, you know, it has its challenges and stuff. And they said, well, aren't you ever tempted to just, like, pack up and, and leave? And and I said, you know, what's funny is, you know, those thoughts have crossed my mind, but coming to a place like this, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this place, but coming to a place like this just reminds me of why I need to be there. Because, like, I want to be at the front lines of the battle. I want to be in the trenches. If, if there is a battle going on over people's souls, I want to be at the front I want to make sure that I'm fully engaged. And, and there is no better place to be fully engaged than right here where we're at. And so that's great. And you guys do you. And I'm, you know, I hope that, that God uses you where you're at. This is exactly where I want to be. As I want to be on the front lines. Because here's what happens on the front lines. This is where the battle is won or lost. And so I want to be at the place in which what I'm doing really matters. The lives that are changed it's a significant change. And I just pray that you would join us in this next season as we do that. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, thank you so much for uh, what you've brought us through in the last couple of years. Um, I'm not thankful for the pain uh, necessarily or the sickness, uh, but I am thankful for what you have done through that. And um, I'm, th- I'm, I'm just thankful that you have... You have given us an opportunity to be used by you to pursue this vision that you have for the church and for our church specifically. And Lord, um, although the challenges are many and sometimes they seem insurmountable, um, we are right where you want us to be. And so Lord, um, I just pray that you would continue to use us, that you would continue to, to bless this church and the people within it as we remain faithful to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys stand with me. Thank you guys so much for being here this weekend. Men's ministry signups are out there. Other than that, have a great day. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.